Today we're going to talk about game definitions, mirroring gameplay, and reusing level design. Hey everyone, welcome to the 65th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord. You can find a link to that in the show notes and in my Twitter bio. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners. The listeners go on to the community Discord and post their submission, and we vote on the submissions. And it's meant to be like a 15-minute exercise to cement the ideas of the topic of that episode. For episode 64's Game Dev Challenge, I asked you to design a card game archetype and include a few sample cards that help define the layered synergies and strategy that the archetype has. Last episode was about card game design, and we talked about uh, the idea of archetypes, which I think we're actually going to revisit today. But yeah, I introduced this idea of card game archetypes. Uh, These are things that like group strategies and synergies together. And there were several good submissions for this, but there can only be one winner. And the winner of the episode 64 Game Dev Challenge is Space Age Strats. Space Age's Strats post is quite long, so I might have to paraphrase some of it, but it starts off saying, PVE Card Game Brawler. I've been playing a lot of Midnight Fight Express recently, and I think there's something really interesting about making a brawler beat-em-up with cards on the floor that can be picked up and played during fights to drastically change either the level, the available weapons, or the weaknesses of enemies. Example. A bright blue card, when played, expands to cover two meters squared of the area. People who walk over this square have increased speed. This would synergize well with other card that does area denial. For instance, a player could pick up a green card that spawns vines in the radius around the player, grab a gun, play both cards, and stand in the buff to get faster and pick off enemies before they get close enough to attack. Another example, purple card. Stereotypically applies poison damage. However, poison doesn't just reduce health. It literally makes the enemy sick. They become slower, they get knocked out easier, and they throw up when they go down. If if they stand on the bright blue card, well poisoned, the poison accelerates and kills them faster. So yeah, I think with those few examples, we can kind of get the gist of what Space Age Strats is talking about. There's more to the post if you want to go read it yourself. But uh, yeah, I think it it makes sense, right? You have color-coded cards that are affecting this fight game brawler and i think what i would like to see maybe is um this idea expanded upon even more especially with the idea of things being archetypes right i think this was touched on and i'm pretty sure this post honestly probably got to the um like maximum post limit you can have on discord so maybe space stage strats has already thought about this it just didn't make it into the post but for instance bright blue cards let's just say that seems like that's a buff right like that's a buff archetype so maybe we could expand upon this and say like um the fighter that you select has a certain deck that comes with it maybe there is a doctor based fighter that has a blue deck right and this blue deck is full of buffing cards whether they be single target buffs or area buffs like described i think that finishes the idea 
like the complete idea of an archetype. Similarly, the purple cards or a purple deck could be um, cards full of debuffs like poisons and be represented by some kind of like, I don't know, a voodoo witch doctor character or something. So yeah, congrats to Space Age Strats for winning the episode 64 game dev challenge. Episode 65's is going to kind of be a, well first off it's going to be a split game dev challenge. There's going to be an either or type situation, but one of them is going to be closely resembling 64's game dev challenge with the archetypes but we're going to expand it to all games and not just card games so yeah the game dev challenge for episode 65 is to do either design a game mechanic that mirrors the narrative aesthetic or sound design of a idea or maybe take one of those things from your favorite game or talk about how you would reuse a level from one of your favorite games. Later in the episode, we're going to talk about how game mechanics can mirror the narrative, aesthetic, and sound design, and honestly should, so you can start with any one of those things and theoretically build the others. And I think that would make a really cool post, right? Like start with a narrative, maybe your favorite book or something like that, and design a game mechanic that reflects the narrative themes. Or you can talk about one of your favorite levels from any of your games and how you might reuse that level design. This can be games that you made or games that you've played or maybe even a fictional game that's just in your head. We're also going to talk about lessons for reusing level designs later on. So yeah, do one of those two things and post it on the Game Dev Challenge channel in the community discord. People will vote on it, and we'll talk about it next episode. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today is a quick tips episode, and if you're unfamiliar with that format, it's one where I take a few topics that weren't quite big enough to make their own episode, uh, but they are things I want to talk about. So in order to make it work, I usually just jam two or three topics together into a quick tips episode. Today's topics are going to be the difference between a toy and a game and what exactly is a game. Mirroring your gameplay and game feel to your narrative and aesthetic and sound feel. And tips for reusing level design. Let's start with the first topic. What is the difference between a toy and a game? This topic actually comes from the last episode, uh, the last bonus episode, where there was a buff debuff topic. And someone asked about those apps for the old iPhone that were like a lighter or a beer mug. And if you tip the phone, you could pretend to pour a beer or move the lighter flame. And the poster called these useless games, and I argued in that buff debuff segment that I don't even think these are games at all, I think they're actually toys. And yeah, I wanted to elaborate on that idea of what exactly is a game. This is a discussion we've had before in our community, and I thought it'd be fun to get an official Game Dev Field Guide take on it. So what is the criteria for something being a game? Well, as it turns out, it's actually a pretty hard thing to find a singular definition, but for me personally... I like the definition put forth by Kevin Maroney from the Games Journal. He defines it as a form of play with goals and structure. And I think it's that goals and structure part that sets it apart from toys. Like, pretending your phone is a lighter is definitely a form of play, but there's not necessarily a structure like rules or a goal to achieve. A game, on the other hand, has a goal, and it provides a structured rule set that you must stay in to achieve that goal. Now this definition does bring up some interesting edge cases. Like Minecraft is definitely a game, it's a form of play with rules and structure, but the goals is where it gets kind of weird. Because what is the goal of Minecraft? 
Like, yeah, there's a defined end goal boss fight, but you don't have to do that. And for a long time in the game, that wasn't even part of the game. It wasn't there. The goals are sort of whatever you want them to be. In other words, the goals are not dictated by the game. The player decides what the goals are. But if the goals aren't dictated by the game, then by our definition, it's not a game, right? Because the goals have to be part of it. And I think most everyone would agree that Minecraft is a game, so it does seem like there's some flaws in that definition. Or maybe games are just evolving, and so should the definition. The article that I got Kevin Maroney's definition from was from 2001, long before Minecraft existed. And I think games uh, more and more, as we explore game design more and more, start to push the boundaries of this original structure. Like the whole idea of games having structure, uh, well that boundary gets pushed with VR games. As VR approaches real life experiences, the structure matters less and less. Yeah, there always will be structure. I mean, there has to be structure. How many points something is worth is not something you can just change because it's a VR game. But what if me and another player decide to play rock, paper, scissors to see who gets to do the thing that leads to the points? I assume that wasn't part of the structure of the rules. You didn't assume that the players are going to play rock, paper, scissors against each other. And yet, because you can do that in VR... Uh, that outside thing is affecting the game, and it's changing the structure. In other words, the structure is not perfectly defined, and therefore, by our strict definition, that game would not be a game. But, of course, <laughs> we, we know it is. So, yeah, I think I'm getting a little off the rails here, but I do think it's a really interesting conversation, uh, what is a game? And if you have more thoughts about that, it's a great thing to talk about on the episode discussion channel in the community discord or just feel free to tweet me and post about what you think the definition of a game is okay the next thing i want to talk about is mirrored gameplay and i'm not sure if mirrored gameplay is the right term for it but it's an idea that came from the card episode so maybe i should just describe it in the card game episode i mentioned how the warlock archetype in hearthstone can give up life for extra mana and how this is a very warlock thing to do and I was thinking about it, and I realized this brings up a really interesting point. Your gameplay and game design should mirror the narrative, sound, aesthetic, and etc. designs of your game. In other words, it's sort of like a infinite hall of mirrors where the game design mirrors the narrative, which mirrors the sounds, which mirrors the aesthetics, and it all comes together in one cohesive thing. And that may be obvious to some people, but it's not the way that I have thought about it in the past because I consider my strength being game design. I always saw it as start with the game design and build the other elements around it. But with this cohesive model and theory, you could technically start with any of the other disciplines and mirror the gameplay to that. So let's say you're someone out there who doesn't have a game design strength. Maybe your strength is in sound design and you're in a pinch and you need a new weapon idea for your game. You're having trouble thinking of something and you, and you can't afford to hire a game designer at the moment. Well, by this cohesive mirror theory, you could start with the sound of the weapon and go from there. Because technically, it should all be reflecting each other. Maybe you have a really great whooshing noise for your weapon, like when you swing a stick through the air. The gameplay then should reflect that fast and light sound. Quick, low, damaging moves that are maybe done in fast succession. Mirror that idea to an art asset, and now you have an idea for some kind of quick and nimble sword, maybe like a rapier. 
And now you can start to see how a fully fledged mechanic and weapon are all coming together. You have this light and nimble and quick sounding sword that looks the part being a rapier, and it plays the part because you know that you're going to be doing quick, low damaging combos with it. And yeah, I guess I just never thought about that, right? I always started with the game design and built out from there. Uh, but maybe that's not where you start. Maybe that's not your background. But I wanted to prove with the cohesive mirror theory, you could really start anywhere. I think one of the best examples of the mirroring not working is actually when the narrative part of the game and the gameplay do not mirror each other. And it creates this thing called ludonarrative dissonance. Now you may have heard that term before as it's almost a meme, like it's some big fancy word that people pull out when they want to sound smart about video games. But the lesson of it, I think, is genuinely helpful, and it's something that makes sense with this idea of mirroring that I've talked about. So ludonarrative dissonance is when a game's narrative told through the story and narrative told through the gameplay do not line up. A good example I've seen before of this is in the Uncharted series, where Nathan Drake, the main character, is supposed to be this likable treasure-hunting hero character but in the gameplay, you shoot and kill hundreds of people. And yeah, those people are vaguely characterized as bad guys, but it still doesn't quite line up. Another example, and I'm not sure if this technically counts, uh, but it's something that I always thought was weird. In Halo Reach, there's a sprint ability, and if you know anything about Halo, you know that at the time, adding sprint to Halo was a big deal. In classic Halo, there was not sprinting, and it was seen as maybe a way to modernize the Halo formula. But in order to balance the sprint ability, you only had so much stamina uh, and your character could only sprint for so long. But this doesn't really line up with the classic Halo story, right? In the story you're playing as a Spartan, which is a genetically engineered super soldier who can flip vehicles with their bare hands and survive falling from space. But they only have enough stamina to run 50 yards? It doesn't quite make sense. The gameplay, I understand why they did it, right? It's to balance the sprint ability. But the gameplay and the story just don't really line up. And sure, that might be a small nitpick, but I think it's a clear example of how a balance made for gameplay reasons is in conflict with the character narrative, and that created some ludonarrative dissonance. Those examples admittedly are nitpicky because I think experienced game devs actually do a really good job of avoiding that dissonance and mirroring gameplay to narrative. But it's something I want the listeners to identify because it's a really awesome feeling for the player when the game design does reflect the narrative. Like the Warlock class in Hearthstone having a mechanic where it can sacrifice its own life for more power. That perfect meld of gameplay and narrative together is a great example of how when the two things align, it can be really, really cool. So yeah, I guess just remember to mirror your gameplay, your narrative, your art, and your sound so that everything feels really cohesive. Okay, last topic for today. I want to talk about some tips for reusing level design. In one of the level design episodes, I talked about how sometimes game devs will reuse environments and level design by having you backtrack through the level. And I stated that I'm not a huge fan of backtracking. But just because I'm not a huge fan of backtracking, that doesn't mean I'm not a fan of reusing level and environmental design. Because it's really a matter of efficiency. If you can reuse your assets for more content for your players, then it makes a lot of sense. 
And I've talked many times before about the power of having um, like force multiplying strategies and reusing content is one of those things that allows you to do more for less work. My problem with backtracking is that it has a samey feel. When you backtrack through a level, you're not really changing that much and the player picks up on that right away. I think the trick to reusing level design is do it in a way that the player does not recognize that it's reused. And the best way, in my opinion, to do this is to make sure that the play experience is different. Like I said, the problem with backtracking is in most cases it's just going backwards through the spaces, and those spaces aren't different enough of a play experience just because you're doing them backwards. Especially when the levels weren't designed originally to be played through backwards, it just feels a little bit awkward. So what are some examples of different play experiences with reusing the same level design? Well, let's start with the idea of making use of backtracking, but in a more vertical sense. If your level is vertically oriented, let's say it's like an abandoned tower or something, I think it actually does make a lot of sense to backtrack it. Think about it this way. On the way up, it's full of vertical jumping puzzles. Then when you get to the top of the tower, something climatic happens, and the level continues, but now it's a quick and frantic descent back down the tower. The areas and level is the same, but by the virtue of the situation and how gravity works, the play experience will be different. The way up is slow-paced. It required thought about jumping puzzles where you're trying to aim the apex of your jump to get on the platform. The way down is fast-paced where you're chaining controlled falls and it's more about reaction rather than puzzle solving. You're navigating the same spaces, but it's two different play experiences. You can do other things with this idea of changing the play experience. How about a level where you have to backtrack while the lights are going in and out? Now you're using the player's memory as an additional skill. How well do they remember how they got to where they are? You've changed this idea of, oh, these game devs were lazy, I recognize this where I'm going, to, oh, uh, I can kind of make this out. I remember this room. This is how I, this is where I have to go. Do you see how you've changed the context of the play experience by just turning off the lights? Changing the play experience can be something as simple as additional challenges. I think Mario games do a really good job of this. In Mario, you might be able to recognize reused pieces of level design, especially in the more modern Mario games. They're dressed differently, but if you pay close enough attention, you can recognize reused pieces of levels. The different play experience usually comes from increased difficulty, like having two difficult pieces of different levels lead into each other on this level, or changing an enemy to a harder enemy, or adding a slippery ice surface, for instance. If you look closely, you'll see that even some of the greatest level designers in the world reuse designs. But they follow the rule of different play experiences so much that they're extremely well disguised. So I think if you follow that rule, you're going to be alright. So yeah, we kind of jumped around today, but uh, let's go back over what we talked about in the episode. Today was a quick tips episode with three topics, the first being exactly what is a game. Remember that I like Kevin Maroney's definition the best. He describes a game as a form of play with goals and structure. So something that is a form of play without goals and structure might be a toy or fantasy. 
And something that has goals and structure but isn't explicitly play might be something like work. But also remember that the boundaries of the definition are being pushed every day. And as game designers, I think it's really cool if we continue to push the boundaries with things like creative experiences and VR. The next thing we talked about is mirrored gameplay. This is the idea that your game design mirrors your narrative, sound, and aesthetic design. Remember, it's like a revolving mirror wheel where everything is cohesive. With this design philosophy, you could really start anywhere in the design process. Start with the sound, for example, and let it lead to your game design. Remember to avoid ludonarrative dissonance. That's where the story your gameplay tells and the story your narrative tells are two different things. Like Nathan Drake being the hero of the story, but when you're playing, you're shooting and killing hundreds of people. The last topic we covered today was focused on how to reuse level design. Remember that if you're going to reuse level design, make sure that the play experience is different. You can do this with vertical-oriented levels, for instance, because the way jumps work on the way up is different than how they work on the way down. You could also do modifiers or additional challenges, like navigating a level in the dark or making a particular surface slippery. Some of the best level designers in the world reuse level designs, or at least pieces of them. So yeah, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Just make sure you're doing it like they do it, and hide it with dressing and varying the gameplay experiences. And that's going to do it for my episode today. I hope you liked it. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can reach out to me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore, or go over to our community Discord. I'm active in that pretty much every day. And don't forget to tune in to Game Dev Streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. I think with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and I'm still working on all those prankster levels from Super Mario Galaxy. Galaxy.